Hello and welcome to Between Two Cairns. I'm Yochai. Hi, I'm Brad. And today we have a special guest, Chris, also known as Direct Sun. Hi, Chris. Hi. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. I am happier that you're here. That's very sweet, Brad. Uh, I don't know if we're already talking about the sign-offs yet, but... Uh, we're not. We're not. Uh, nope. You already nope. know what my oh, favorite no, sign-off just, of yours is. Okay. <laughs> is it, whatever it is, I'm sure it's pretty creepy. Let me introduce <laughs> Chris for a second here. Some of you might know his uh, puzzle dungeon... At, Venture module. I don't even want to call that. It's a dungeon. It's a puzzle dungeon called Puzzle Dungeon. But um, all of those names are valid. Yeah. Um, I actually, you know, I realized we met because you helped me with like a, a a GitHub problem once. The character generator for the Karn Foundry. VTT. That's right for the virtual tabletop. Um, and thank you for that. Yeah, the community's really uh, latched on to to the Karn Foundry VTT and the system. As a whole, uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, it's. I'm impressed that people are interested. So the thing that I know you best is for Puzzle Dungeon, but other people here might know Aberrant Reflections. Yeah, it, it's actually also a Puzzle Dungeon. It's just not in the name. No, it literally is in the name on your website, though. It says Aberrant Reflections Puzzle Dungeon on your blog. Oh, wow, nice. Where's my Aberrant Reflections, huh? The Kickstarter, I think it's late. Is it? Yeah, it's Is it late. late? Oh. I think January probably now. Wow. I actually have a note here. If Brad asks about Aberrant Reflections, say January. <laughs> okay. So I can tell you. So, I, yeah, we I, obviously we both backed it. And the reason I did is because I really like Puzzle Dungeon. I think it's great. Yeah, Sears Sanctum is a, it's a really good one. And I'm really looking forward to the new one. And I'm excited to read it. And that's why yeah, I'm asking. Well, yeah, here's the here's what always confused me, right? Like, I have a printout copy I made. Like, I made a little, like booklety thing and it just says the seer sanctum but then puzzle dungeon is on the top but it's not like part of a series because there is no other quote-unquote puzzle dungeon labeled printed product so i'm just trying to figure out what that is indeed so um yeah <clears throat> when i made that um i had just been getting into the osr and i had seen questing beasts channel I think he probably drew me in the most. And I said, I'm going to try one of these. And I got it out and I was like, wow, this would be cool if it was part of a series. Exactly what you're <laughs> saying, Yochai. Uh, and then when I started working on Aberrant Reflections, you know, it was before it was called Aberrant Reflections at the time. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I just thought everything looked cleaner with it just saying Aberrant Reflections. But you know now and... I know, and, and Brad knows, and I guess anyone listening right now, is that Aberrant Reflections is Puzzle Dungeon 2. And there will be a little little PD there, PD2, and that's it, yeah. Whoa, exclusive scoop. So, yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, there was some, well, I mean, it, obviously, like, the puzzles were cool, but they weren't just annoying puzzles like some, some games do. I like that you didn't have to, like, fight a bunch of things to get to the interesting part. I mean, there's some monsters there that you have to... You don't have to fight like they can be tricked, I think, if I remember. And it's just overall, it's put together really well. I I, I don't like I'm not reviewing it because I'd have to read it again. It's been like nine months since I've read it, maybe more. Yeah, I wouldn't want you to read 12 pages again. <laughs> um, Yo, Sears Sanctum, here's my review. It's great. A plus module. Everyone should buy it. It's fun. I love all the puzzles aren't like do something annoying until you get the exact right answer. It's like have yes. fun doinking yes. around in an interesting environment until you right. 
come up with a solution that makes sense. And it's like that's that's the way to have fun puzzles in a dungeon. So uh, major shout outs for that one. I think it's awesome. Right. I'm really looking forward to the new one. Thank you. Yeah, me too. Uh, it should be pretty. Yeah, I like I like puzzles that don't require a lot of arbitrary knob spinning. Yeah, I have uh, I have a set of things that I usually look for in uh, in puzzles and something that I would call a puzzle dungeon. I like them to build off of each other. I like to teach the the players, the PCs, about the mechanics of the world as they go through, so they can learn and actually make informed decisions of them. Try not to block uh, things that are too important. They should be things that make sense within the world. So characters' decisions make sense, and uh, they should encourage uh, interactivity. So, yeah, that's it. I think I feel like a lot of game masters or game designers, their experience from puzzles come mostly from like puzzle video game, you know, video games, RPGs, which is fine. Yeah. But also like those don't translate very well to tabletop no. RPGs, like pushing no. cubes or like, you know, solve the annoying glyph riddle or whatever, like Final Fantasy X dungeon temples like are just not fun in real life, you know, so my best example is uh, like Legend of Zelda, you know, when you flip a switch and some of the later games, they they zoom out and they show you like all the inner workings of this huge <laughs> complex 3D environment. Yeah, like imagine describing that to yeah. your players. Now. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, although I think I, I think one thing you can do really well is repeat yourself again and again, recontextualize again and again, and kind of make that easier. You know, yes, it's like, definitely. It's like, okay, so you walk into the room, here are three things you see. And then, like, you repeat those three things as they interact. And then in the, when they get to another room, you repeat the same thing, but a little bit different. So when they finally get to, like, the big dungeon puzzle, they've already understood the overall theme. You don't have to. Let you know layer your explanation they get it already because you're like oh yeah and this is the dungeon where right. um a plus b is usually c you know which you can also use the mess with them but that's that's mean that's yeah definitely great advice uh, i you definitely repeat stuff again and i found uh layering in just like maybe three things i think in what you repeat and keeping uh like the important stuff at the very end because that really sticks in their mind if you describe an entire room uh, and the first thing you say is there's a bunch of zombies coming your way. Also, there's a key in the corner. <laughs> right. They're going to hyper focus on those zombies. Right. Yes. Right. And and then if they don't, if they forget, you have them trip over the key later. <laughs> well, they yeah. wouldn't have yeah. forgotten. Right. I mean. No, they no, always no, no. forget. The players, the, the players the would. But I feel like you have to, yes. the player, oh, yes. so, you know, OSR games are a competition between, between the stupidity of my players and the intelligence of their characters. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's always <laughs> like, okay, especially because I play on, I do, I don't exclusively do play-by-post, but, like, one thing I've learned running play-by-post games now for, like, four years is if you don't repeat, re- refer, screenshot, etc., it's a little unfair yeah. because you know it may 24 hours may have passed since this person interacted with that thing and and you don't want them to make it's like when i play a board game i want i'd rather the other person play their best game than win by a technical oh you forgot about this unless the game is of course to remember uh-huh. but like like i play this board game called tack all the time um which is awesome it's based on the patrick rothfuss um uh King Killer Chronicles, but it's it's a board game that came out of that, and it's really great. It's really really great. It's kind of like chess or checkers, but it 
it it has um two modes one mode is called the palace rules and that's where essentially you tell someone if they're about to lose so that they can play their best game and by the time they they you win by them not having any other choice and then there's the tavern rules which are cutthroat you don't tell anyone that they're basically about to get um you know, uh, defeated. You just let it happen. I always play the palace rules because I find it a lot more engaging when I know that they, that, you know, just cause they weren't paying attention for a second, it doesn't interest me as much, but that's just specific to me. Also great advice. Yochai. Don't punish the players for things that their characters would know. Right. And, uh, and also, you know, don't, uh, don't hate the player, oh, hate the game. No, right. No, Is that right. Never. No, I like them both. <laughs> A lot of good, uh, good GM advice in this one. All right, moving on. Uh, for today's main review, we're going to be talking about The Mall by Goblin Archives, which is a module for the Cairn Hack Liminal Horror. And I'm not trying to minimize it. I'm just, it'd be weird not to say that it's a, it's a kind of Call of Cthulhu-esque hack of Cairn to play uh, in modern weird fiction settings. Um, it's very... From what I can tell, it's been very successful. I've never, never played it. Um, but, you know, I think it's got a cool kind of community. But before we kind of dip into what is liminal horror, um, let's talk about the mall adventure itself, only because we have a special um, relationship with this particular module. Brad, could you help us kind of uh, bring this discussion into the front, forefront? Okay, so this this module, the mall is um, based on an actual mall, Lloyd Center in Portland, Oregon. Um, Goblin Archives is from Portland, Oregon. And uh, I also live in Portland, Oregon. And, oh boy, um, when I graduated college, I drove out to Oregon. Me and my girlfriend and our two-door Honda Civic uh, packed up and moved cross-country here with our liberal arts degree. Ink still fresh on those babies. And, uh, you know, didn't didn't have much of a plan, but... We moved to Portland, Oregon, and of course, the 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 job that I ended up getting when I moved here was at this mall, Lloyd Center. I have a very personal relationship. I sold men's sportswear for about ten months in in this this haunted mall. And uh, if you could quantify, if you could somehow like quantize uh, anguish, misery. Uh, it, it would be an awful lot that I've poured into this mall. I have a very personal uh, pain relationship with this Lloyd Center mall. So this module really resonates with me in a major way. Well, this is you're, this is great because you're starting this on an, you know, there is no go- greater horror than capitalism, right? So this is a great way to start. Um, oh, yeah. And just looking at the map, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can pick like the best. I can show you the best spots to like sit and like play a Game Boy on your lunch break and just like hate the oh, world for a so half nostalgic. hour. Like, I can just pinpoint these spots. Oh yeah. What's the best place to get assimilated by a monster? Oh yeah. Oh no problem. I can answer that. Yeah, easy. you can easily because it's written here and it can just it just tells you what happens. But anyways, more into that later. Um, so to take a step back, uh, Liminal Horror is a into the odd Cairn hack. Uh, you know, you've got three stats. You have inventory. Inventory matters a lot. It is built to run systems that have um, weird fiction elements, H.P. Lovecraft or Clark Ashton Smith, that kind of stuff. Also, there's sanity mechanics and um, 
it's generally set in modern times. This particular module is set uh, in the 80s or 90s. I can't remember now. 90s, maybe? The year is 1990X. Love it. Right. Yes. So sometime in the 90s, and for you young kids, that was before um, there was an iPhone, but after the O.J. Simpson trial, if that helps. So um, <laughs> anyhow, yeah, I don't have any experience with malls. I've been to them more than once. Um, they are horrible and the fluorescent lighting makes me feel like I need to sit down. So already I can, I, I, I can see why this setting would be such a good horror environment. Brad, do you want to give us the kind of brief overview of like, what's the deal here? What's the summary of this module? Yeah. So we got 36 page staple bound zine here. Content wise, this is, um, it's a mall that you are characters here. You're either hanging out, maybe your employees, the mall's not doing well, and there's an event to kind of save the mall where they're raffling off a car, and things go wrong awfully quick because there is a thing-like thing, like like the movie John Carpenter's thing, running amok, and you find you are trapped in this mall. So the horror only escalates as you fight for survival in this mall. Right, and um, and there are yeah. there is a list of sort of influences as well in this particular module which i think is quite helpful uh including the thing which i didn't mention earlier it, it, it is thing like but there's also you know just general body horror all over the place it's uh, certainly if that's a problem for you you're not going to like this and before we dip any further let me just quickly jump in and say uh some credits here it's Goblin Archives doing the writing, layout, and design. V Huntsman doing the editing. Zach Hazard did the uh, cover art. And then there's a bunch of illustrators. Garbage Goat, Trevor Henderson, uh, some Creative Commons and public domain art. And then under consulting, there's quite a lot of people here, um, including some of the artists. And I'm just mentioning him by name here. Uh, Logan Dean and Josh Domanski, two people two people whom I think we've mentioned in the podcast before. Um, so... I just wanted to throw all that out there before we forgot anymore. It's got a lot of people involved in in making this happen. Was this an Exalted Funeral exclusive? I can't remember. I think so. Yeah, it says on the back, presented by Exalted Funeral. So tell us about the physical version a little bit. You know, pretty standard zine, black and white, 36 or so pages. Uh, gotta give major shout outs to this cover art by Zach Hazard. Totally sets the tone. I love this, the trademark Zach Hazard, black and white kind of layered semi-tones. We've got this like freaky mutated mannequin coming out. We've got kind of this visual callback to the cover of Liminal Horror with these like creepy eyeball ooze slurping out of the darkness there. Um, love. And Zach did the uh, Liminal Horror cover as well, I believe. Mm -hmm. yes yes indeed nice nice little zine product um i think it looks really good so there's a lot in here what i was kind of do i was going to do kind of a like a you know go little go around of each of us just kind of giving their overall impressions and then just switch to a whole long deep dive thing about this because i think it's hard to talk about without getting really specific and um yeah so if you don't mind what i was gonna do is so a quick fire round robin chris and then brad and then yohai and then deep dive let's do it awesome okay so kick it stop chris what did you think of the mall so i really liked a lot about the mall i love the theme i love 90s plus the thing I had no trouble getting people to sign up for this game, probably partially because it's around Halloween. 
but everyone was on board with it. Almost everyone had seen the thing. One person hadn't watched it, but it's so ingrained in the zeitgeist, they knew exactly what to expect. So I, I love the idea, and I love that most of the parts of this module are very easy to run on the fly, but there are some parts that are not that easy. Also, the art is is killer. I uh, It's amazing. Again, as you said, the, the cover there and a lot of the, just the illustrations of the mall, they give you that feeling of liminal horror, that in-between space, like the places are shut down, you're, uh, the space between those stores that people hang out in. Uh, it's just very evocative. And I have written down here my favoritest thing is on page nine, I think it is. And it's just descriptions that you can pull from for the monster. Stuff like multiple twisted faces, impossible angles, jagged openings, multi-hinged jaw, spurs of bone. Like, it was very useful to just glance at and just pull descriptions. I like that one that's just, there's one that's just writhing mass. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's my least favorite kind of mass. Of all the masses, that's the one I'm always seeing, you know. Yes. Anything but a writhing. Um, so okay, that so I'm re- I'm really curious to talk to you more about what didn't work because I have a guess as to what that was. But before we do that, Brad, what did you think of the mall? Yes, um, yeah, I think this was a lot of fun to read. I I would really like to run it. Um, it I think the writing is very evocative. Just the themes and the setting, I think first class. Like this is such a great setting to run a role playing game in, especially as an American who grew up in the, you know, mostly in the 90s. Like I've spent a lot of time at the mall. Um, So that's great. Um, It kind of tricked me because I went into this thinking it was kind of like an OSR style, like mega dungeon where you kind of explore the mall. I don't think it's really like that. This has, I think, more in common with kind of a story game type module where there's kind of these, uh, you're mostly playing with the people and the factions. And I'd love to hear if that's like kind of your experience, Chris, with running it. Um, But once I kind of reset my expectations, I, I really found a lot to like about this and thought it was really cool. Did have a couple like sticking points that I think needed some extra procedures to make clearer. Um, like, for instance, random encounters. That was one of them. It's like a mm-hmm. doom clock. We'll talk more about that. Mm-hmm. I feel like some of those really kind of lacking as far as how to use yep. these things. But yep. for the most part, I, uh, I'm i I'm excited about this one. And I think it's cool. Okay, round robin, quick fire. Cool. Okay, great. So I'll go quickly. I did not like it. Whoa. Now, let me just preface. I think as a product, it's generally very good. Layout is very good. I think the formatting is very good. I think it's easy to read. I think I could read it once and I'd still need to refer to it a bunch while running it, but it would be comfortable. So as a as a general product, I actually think it's pretty good. And I think the editing is really good. There's a couple typos, but whatever. It's generally speaking, really good editing. Um, not a lot of jumping around to figure out sort of what's what. There is a central mechanic in this game that to me completely undermines the entire experience from what of what I want from a role-playing experience. And I will say this as someone who started out, at least as an adult, in the story games community and moved, you know, to the dark side however many years ago. But I have a very positive relationship with the story games community. And I'll, I'll get more into that later. I think this is a this game is firmly a story game. And that's totally fine. But it's just not the kind of experience I would ever want. And I think even as a story game, it actually needs a lot of support that is not 
given by the, the product. Um, yeah, so we can get more into that in deep dive. Wow. But overall, overall, I'm not a huge fan. I still want to commend the existence of the product because I think it's impressive. I think Goblin Archives did a really good job overall. I think the editing is good. I think the well, I actually don't like the art. I like the cover. I don't like any of the other art. But oh, I just think it's incongruous. And um, I would, I was, I was hoping it'd be like a, mall, a shopping mall brochure or something. But it's totally all over the place, and I don't really understand why it, it. One image is one style, and another image is another. But who, I'm not like an art person. Don't listen mm. to me about that. Anyhow, okay. So that's everything I have to say about that. Um, anything else you want to jump into, or should we just go to deep dive right now? I just want to touch on the art real quick. I like everything except the public domain art. I don't think it was needed. Yeah. I think those other illustrations are perfect and they stand on their own. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. The one that's the guy with his like head blown off against the table. That's a great, great piece. Totally makes sense. But then there's one that's like, well, I didn't really care for the fist one. But the, yeah, I, in general, I agree with you. I still think some were just like none of them lived up to Zach's cover, in my opinion. I like the the spot art by I think it's Garbage Goat. Garbage Goat. Yeah. yeah. I I thought those yep. were great. Like the little mall clips, even like the potted plant and stuff like that. There's like a, a an arms, you know, a bloody arms. Like these are great. And I wish we kind of lost some of the public domain stuff and blew these I up agree. bigger. I, agree. I thought yeah. those do the trick for me. I, th- I think you're right. I think that yeah. I think I think that's right. All right. So without further ado, let's just do the deep dive about the mall. Deep no. Please wait until I got to the part. Okay. Oh God. <laughs> okay. I've got a cold, so I'm extra. Oh, I'm oh, extra throaty so... on that too. Okay. Anyways, so let's just talk about the mechanics of this game, not the system itself. I know the system itself. It's based off of a system that I wrote. It's a great system, and it's good for this kind of play. I think. Um, I've run Cthulhu Dark. I've never run Call of Cthulhu, to be clear. Uh, so I don't. I'm not an expert by any means. But I, I do think Liminal Horror does some cool stuff, and I think it's totally the appropriate system for this kind of module. So you know, hats off to Goblin Archives for making a a very on theme, on brand module for Liminal Horror. That said, there are a couple of elements here that I think are firmly outside of the camp of OSR. And and I don't mean to say this in a, this is not OSR, like nothing like that. It's just, if you take for granted a couple things, or if you accept a couple, I think, um, assumptions here. One, OSR play is generally about player agency, right? Giving the players the feeling like their decisions have an impact. Right. And... Um, the world exists regardless of their input on it. I mean, they can manip- they can manipulate the world, but it's going to keep happening, right? Um, no matter what they do. Uh, the second thing is exploration and discovery. We can put those aside because this isn't really the situation where those would come up as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last is um, problem solving. Just doesn't have that much problem solving, but I don't actually think that's a problem either. My number one issue with this is that it does not engage player agency, which is okay. It's just not what I like. And a couple ways that it does that, and then I can hear all of your dissenting opinions. <laughs> Number one, it is extraordinarily unclear to me how the players engage in critical thinking to actually affect the overall, I'm not going to call it plot, but the the doom clock, for example. The doom clock, That's I don't have a problem with... Um, that kind of thing. Like, oh, this happens at this time and this happens at that time. But the way that this is written, none of it is if this doesn't happen, then that will happen. It's all just like, nope, this happens here. 
uh, the child of Amon comes out in mid gestation. Can we pause for a minute and maybe yeah. just touch on like what is the doom clock and also like what's really going on here to kind of give some context to our listener. Sure. Yeah, Chris, do you want to do you want to tell us about the doom clock? Sure. I'll also talk about talk about the whisper cards too if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to talk on these these as well because um I was able to run this after just reading it once, but I also needed to reread several mechanics and a certain things that just didn't make sense to me on the first time through. And some of them still don't. Um, but uh, yeah, the doom clock, I'm going to read to you what it says right here. It's, it's a measure of how close the party is to doom <laughs> actions taken by the PCs will change the progression and details of the doom clock. However, uh, it doesn't say how the PCs affect the Doom Clock or when it should tick up, and um, it just seems to be uh, up to the referee to increase it. And it doesn't even engage with Whisper Cards, which yes. is what I thought it would do initially. No, it doesn't. And at, and at, like so there's 10 levels of Doom, and at Doom 10... The portal under the mall opens to like basically you know hell or whatever. Well, no, no, it phases back into Doom Ten. It phases back into reality, and then therefore brings the portal to reality. I think that's yeah. you could theoretically end the game, the session by not phasing back, but still mm-hmm. opening the portal. You know, whatever. Sorry, go sure. ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say it wasn't clear to me on the first read fl- read through exactly how I would know when it was you know time as the referee to increase it. But, I mean, as I was running it, I realized, like, oh, the next logical step that these players are going to do is they're going to try and get the hell out of here. And then, hey, that's Doom number two. Uh, They're trapped. They can't leave. Or Doom number three. Um, And then factions emerge. Like, that's going to happen probably when they interact with an NPC trying to do something uh, next to a store. Um, But actually, I think the biggest thing that I didn't realize at this on the first playthrough was that this needs to be played as a mini series, mm-hmm. like a, a horror mini series episodes on the, um, on the mall itch page. Uh, there's a specific quote. It's ta- a specific quote. It's talking about the soundtrack, but I think this applies for the module itself and it should be in the module. This line, it says, what if there was an alternate universe, yellow jackets, fear street style mini series for the mall? And I think that's the ideal way. It should be done slow burn style. And the care, the, the PC should be given the opportunity to interact with everything and experience that falling action and, uh, that, that sense of dread in the movie. And I think there's certain things in the module that don't really suggest that to you. And the first thing is the first event, which is basically kick it up to 11, you know, without any spoilers, like, bam, you, you're starting off at 11 and it's not evident that there should be that falling action and that slow burn in order to get that proper yeah. horror. And, and I think that's totally legit. It's just hard for me to, I guess on a mechanical level, understand whether the system makes sense for this kind of experience. Honestly, when I was reading it, I was thinking of monster hearts, which is a PBTA game, yeah. which would work great for this, you know, setting wise and what's important. And, and you could, you know, ramp up the emotional stuff with the horror. And I, I, I have a hard time, I guess, understanding how player agency comes into play here. I actually didn't run this with limited. Oh my god! Okay, okay. What did you run? Okay, what did you use? Okay, I used the two d six resolution mechanic, which you probably recognize oh, from okay. PBTA. Okay, 
Yeah. Um, oh, so you so kind of like yeah, but did you? So you was you were just kind of running like an FKR style thing. You weren't running like oh great. Interesting. Yes, and and so yeah, it was FKR style, and the three choices for the two D six perfect failure with consequences, yeah. um, and that, that success with or, sorry success with complications. No, sorry, it's well, it's failure, success with complications, and then um, you know, complete success or just success, whatever they cool. want to call it, um, with a bonus. I played it as right, yeah. which is not standard to PPTA, but some do do that. Um, I, I was very in the PPTA world for a long time. Um, and I think, I think the thing it does really, really well is enforce genre. And there is a cost. There is absolutely a cost to that. But I think I, it completely makes sense to run this just straight up 2D6. It actually, <laughs> to me, when I was reading it, I, I thought, this would be kind of a cool fiasco playset <laughs> or dread. Like this yeah. would work with dread so well, which if folks totally. don't know is you have a Jenga tower and you do a poll to um, see whether or not you're successful. And if, if the tower falls, you die. And then when you rebuild the Jenga tower, you rebuild it with fewer pieces. So by the end, there's like one or two people left and the tower, even when it's rebuilt has like 30% of its pieces lost. It's so good. Dread would have been really, really good for this as well. I'm not trying to critique the usage of luminal horror to be clear. I just, as I think, go ahead, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. No, I mean, I, I, I think, I, I mean, I don't think luminal horror is like, the wrong game for this module. I mean, I think it, it works fine. It has few enough rules that it gets out of the way and lets players do whatever they want. And I like how it handles like the stress yes. and fallout mechanic yes. too. I think that works really well and, you know, <clears throat> makes the consequences of like living in a scary place ramp up over time. Well, so, so. I, I have a question. My number yeah. one problem with this is the whisper cards and, and it's too, okay, my let's talk about whisper. Cards. Yeah. So my critique is twofold. Actually, let's back up. Chris, you actually ran this. How did you use the whisper cards? I did. I felt it was important to use the stress and the whisper cards, um, even though I wasn't super clear on how they worked. So <laughs> this is how I made them work. Um, I pulled I pulled the stress table from Mothership, and well, first off, let me back up. I did not run this um, as a slow burn. Uh, miniseries. I squashed this whole thing into a three-hour one-shot. It's great. Which, I, as I said before, is not the way I think this is best to be run. Um, but everyone had a blast. And so, yeah, I pulled the, the stress table from Mothership, and basically when there was a stressful situation, uh, characters got stress. Uh, and when they moved the story forward, so basically I explained it to my players. I said, if you sit around in a corner, hold over here, um, that might be the best way to survive, but it's not. It's not going to move the the story forward. So you might get the stress, and there might be consequences to having too much from this this table. And so in extreme situations, I'd have them do like two d ten under the stress table, mothership style, and see what happened. Um, but with the whisper cards, I said, okay, you can reduce stress by using a whisper. Ah, uh, we'll say okay. <laughs> you've already broken the fundamental argument I have because. <laughs> Let's take a step back here. The whisper cards, for those who don't know, they're a mechanic that allows um, characters to become replaced. And that means they're no longer their character. They're actually now like evil and they do evil random things. Um, it also makes them, I guess, kind of freak out a little bit. It's like an extra layer of stress. Well, yeah. So, I mean, just to kind of 
further delve into what they are. It's like, it's like decks of cards and it tells you either a way to behave in a coming scene. So something like arm yourself or escalate or something like that. Or it says like you've been replaced by a monster. Right. So an example would be make erratic movements, break something, escalate. I actually like that one. Make an accusation, get in someone's face. So I have a problem with this for two reasons. One, I think most of these are pretty boring. Two, I don't like that they remove agency from the player character or from the player. I should say, I I just don't enjoy that personally. I think I would feel very frustrated that despite me making good critical thinking decisions, I have a character that is, you know, acting in a way that I feel like isn't organic to the um, experience. I like to play that said, if you're in, if you're like, Hey, yeah, like I, I'm up for whatever I I'll let's play the thing. And I'll, I might be a bad guy. Like a board game might do that. Uh, That's fine. I, I just would never wish that. Now the way that Chris is describing it, that sounds awesome. You already you already fixed yeah. it. So congrats on that. <laughs> it took me a minute to understand whisper cards because I didn't understand like, okay, I get this card and it tells me this weird thing to like to do or to act like. I was like, what like what's the point? Like, what if I don't do that? You know, and I, I do think this is a, a a module you need kind of everyone on board with the kind of game it is. Like I, I wouldn't want to drop this into like a liminal horror campaign because yeah, your character could get like replaced by a monster if you draw the wrong card, and that's it for you. Uh, but what I, how I came to understand it is, you're getting these cards. They tell you to do kind of weird stuff. The mechanic is everyone is getting more and more paranoid because characters are now behaving erratically. Is that because they're monsters now, or is that because they've got a whisper card that tells them to? behave weirdly now you know what i mean so i I do think that could be a cool way to ramp up tension between characters but i think the expectation needs to be there that that's what kind of game this is well so i have a question though and this is for both of you do you think this mechanic works let's put aside the agency stuff and let's just say it was like that wasn't an issue the other thing about it that kind of bugged me was that you get whisper cards for seemingly random reasons like investigating a symbol will trigger a, a whisper card. It's like what the module I don't think uh, comes out and says it directly. But um, I mean, I tried to make some notes for me. Like, when do I hand out stress? When do I do a stress check? And when do I hand out whisper cards? And what I settled on was when they further the story, find clues, uh, or go about doing something proactive or interacting with the environment. That's when I'd give them a whisper card. Well, exa- right. Mm-hmm. That's a problem, though, because you're punishing them for playing well. I and and that's why, to me, it's a story game, not a whatever the hell you want yeah. to call this. There, there's only two punishments in 35 cards. That, yeah, but I would be okay in any any OSR game with a character acting in a way that makes sense for their character and isn't um, like the player might not like it, but it's something their character would do. That's fine. But there's no framework for that experience here. That you you act erratic because you read the wall and there's symbols there. You act erratic because you smell the bad smell. And like, okay, some of that makes sense. But again, story game, which is fine. But is this system really built for that? And I get, you know what? Maybe it's personal. Maybe I'm like, well, my system could never be used. But it totally could. No, I don't know. <laughs> right. I don't exactly too close. exactly. So maybe take that. I have a question as well. Sorry, go ahead. No, if you have another comment about this, I that's great. I, I was just saying that I'm I'm playing devil's advocate. Like, um I, I saw where it could have those benefits. 
If I was to run this again, though, I would probably not run it with stress or the whisper cards. And just let, you let know, it after happen. a certain time, I just sorry, just let, let stuff happen naturally. You mean? Yeah, I would let stuff happen. I'd run it more FKR style, and as I said, like a slow burn, um, because there's things that the referee is expected to do. And there's no way you could do this in a live session. You need prep time to say, what are the factions going to do? I mean, now? has an NPC been replaced, for example? Like, that that's a big thing. <laughs> um, has, you know, and you've got, yeah. like, um, I actually yeah. think you could really benefit with pre-generated characters as well. I think that would be kind of interesting, like Lady Blackbird style. Oh, you it know? was so yeah. fun character generation at my table, okay. though. Okay, like, <laughs> Yeah, you're right. You away. wouldn't take it. Did you use the customized character generation rules, or? I... Did my own thing. Of course you did. So Chris's, Chris's yeah. answer is, I ran this module, but not in the way they intended at, or with the system it was written for. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's how you yeah, play I, modules. I know, you know? dude, I know. Like, I run freaking OSE games all the time using, I can't, I know, but at least the play style is some, somewhat similar. But I, I feel like there, this is a case of maybe like several different play styles mashing together because... Personally, I don't have a lot of experience with games like Call of Cthulhu or Delta Green, but isn't that kind of the tradition in those games that, like, the more you pursue the investigation of the supernatural, like, the further pushed you are into destruction. The more insane you And that's, become. like, the tension. Yes. But 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 you roll dice. You roll dice usually to determine that, and there's some... I mean, you do this in, as well to avoid being replaced, but I feel like it's just a little more clear. So the, the thing that I con I'm most concerned about when running a module is do the players understand why they have failed? Like, I think failure and lethality is really good at generating the kind of experience I like. But if the players don't feel like they're, the consequences of their actions make sense, then it's not a good time for anybody, at least, you know, with respect to the... The, the play style that I like. Um, I do want to mention one thing before I forget. I really feel like the summary that's the very last, like the back page, should have been just right up front. Because at first, I, I was reading it thinking like, okay, what am I supposed to get out of this? I read about halfway through and then I went and read again and it made more sense to me. But again, this could just be me. I feel like the summary on the back should have been right up front. I like, you know how House of the Hollow, House of the Hollow did that? Like it just gives you this like quick one page summary. I really would have appreciated that because there's just so much data here and it's not hard to crock. Like it's just a lot of NPCs, a lot of places. There's this whole mall considering the amount of information that's here. It's not that bad. It's just, I feel like it could have done well with a, a summary up front that also mentioned the damn whisper cards, you know? Um, I, I think, I, I mean, personally, I, I don't mind whisper cards. I think this would be great as, own standalone like short campaign with the expectation that like hey everyone this is a game where you could be replaced you're probably doomed you're you're kind of screwed you're <laughs> gonna have like weird behaviors i just want i just want that buy-in and then i think it's it's fine i think like that for me is is kind of fun actually but it's the uh the doom clock i wish had a little bit more uh, procedure baked in like maybe tie it to like the number of people who have died or something like that so players can actually push it back or, or forward by by like a very concrete you know um action well, if you go by like wall. you know dungeon world or um you know blades in the dark they use like fronts and clocks like they're right there if you're gonna go uh -huh. bit story games just sure, use yeah. those you know when this happens that uh -huh. way at least the pcs can actually engage 
events and trigger them and and uh, kind of have a sense of agency. And again, that's my main critique is the sense of agency. One positive thing I wanted to mention that didn't I didn't before. I like that there's a ways to change this module and there's a even a conversion guide on the at, at the end. I thought that was really cool. I really like the. I mean, I think just the writing is in general, very effective. I think there's a lot of very evocative language here. And um, I really like some of the little like vignettes. I think the way this is written, I wish there was more of these little kind of scripted scenes that I could just kind of drop in. Like the very first one where you're at the stage and like the monster appears like, okay, I know exactly how to run that. And I know exactly what's going to I have happen. a question though. When that happens and the monster rips out of the guy's stomach, is he dead after that? Yeah, yeah, I think he's dead. There's, it's like a monster. Are thing. you sure? Then why is there a whole NPC section about him? He's written into the rest of the module too. Is like he's really? walking around. Yeah, so he's not dead. He's yeah. not. That was confusing to me because it says the, the literally the and and media res the way that this game starts. I don't know if this is how you started, Chris, but it the way it starts is this creature rips you know explodes out of this man's stomach. And then I, I thought he was dead. And then I'm like, oh, they kind of describe him here and what he's been doing. Wait a minute. He's still. So that was confusing to me. Yeah. I think it's implied that he's replaced. So like there's another of him walking around. So like it explodes out of him. And then I just had him disappear off screen. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> you see on the camera good. he's walking around. That could happen, right? This thing is like replacing people. I mean, he's all over. The, he's like the number one NPC in this. He appears... He's the head of the faction that wants to replace everyone. Right. So he's right. the he's the thing. So he's not dead. That was just unclear. But when you look at the factions, so there's the faction breakdown, and you have all these major players within the factions. Everyone has a, a thing that says crisis response or location sometimes. The two in the Ammon's Chosen do not have crisis response or location because I think they're they're dead. Like, they're just, that's it. Yeah. Their, their response is attack and assimilate. Their response is be monsters now. So now you're saying, okay, well, whatever. This un- It's still unclear, the fact that we have different interpretations of it, but... Yeah. I, I agree what you said about the, the layout. Very easy to run, very evocative. Any of these NPCs, I just had to glance at them, and I knew exactly what they were wearing and what how yeah. to play them. Well, um, they're all tropes. Was, that was perfect. It's all tropes. I mean, the NPCs are... The way, like, I can see the maintenance person, you know? I can... It, it's all, it's relying on, tra- that's a, the beauty of using a modern setting is there's so much, so much more of a handhold you can get into, you know, what it's supposed to look like. You know, I've never been in a real castle other than like a ruined one. I wouldn't know exactly how to describe it outside of what I've seen elsewhere, but I know what a mall looks like. You know, I, I feel like it's, it's a good, it's good. It, I think it's great to use modern settings for that reason. A problem that I encountered when I was running this like, even though it was very easy to describe those NPCs and figure out what they were doing and how they were doing it, um, it was hard to know where they were because players would see yes. the map because I'd show it to them because, you know, there's maps everywhere in this mall. They can see the whole place. Yes. Uh, and they'd say, I want to go here. So, like, do I run that as a point crawl? Do I run that as, like, here's all the things that you see along the way? The map's not noted to tell you, like, Okay, at this point in the Doom Clock, this NPC is going to be, you know, in this area because certain factions are going to look for the security room. They're going to go to the manager's office. They're going to do this thing or that thing. And uh, the locations themselves don't don't have that either. It's not noted on the map. It's not mm-hmm. loaded on the location. So I had to think. I was like, 
wait a minute, the security room, there's supposed to be someone in here, right? And then go scan the NPCs. Right. That's why I liked locales like the pet shop where you go in and there's like this awful like chimera of like smooshed together pets rolling around. I love the pet shop, but a lot of these places, there's no reason to go there. Yeah, I wish that's like that kind of when I said like a vignette, that's the kind of thing I wish there's more of that. Like, oh, yeah, if you go in, you know, this store, here's something you might expect. Like kind of script this. Vignettes are good. We need random encounters that push you to certain places that push you to do certain things rather yes. than the whisper. Yes, parts. yes, thank There's you. Some... Thank you. Yes, but I do think but I do think the random encounters tables on page 26 and 27 are are pretty good and I think you get a lot of these NPCs doing stuff by rolling on the encounter table. But again, there's not a mechanic here that says like, when do you roll this? Like, is it when you move between locations, there's always an encounter? Like, so procedure, I don't know. In in a lot of ways, this module is kind of like, yeah, yeah, right. What did I say? No procedures for play. Uh, yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of like, um, it's like an adventure toolbox in a way. There's a lot of like tools to put together a cool adventure, but it's not as kind of, um, like scripted as something you would expect from like, a a more traditional like OSR. Well, adventure. I would say scripted is, is the wrong word. It's just there are underlying assumptions and maybe we're all missing out on that or maybe I'm missing out on that and it's just totally normal to have like just to, to just fall back on the the fun of the fiction and, and I understand that. I do. I, I mean, I it kind of reminds me of you know, running Fiasco or Dread or Follow or I mean, I, yeah. I've run a lot of story games and it, it, it I'm not even opposed to enmeshing them i think it's cool to mix both it's just for me i like to feel like my character has had an impact that makes sense that was predictable and i understood the consequences of my actions even if that means death or whatever i want to know that i've had a hand in that and i i will that's oh yeah whatever i'm repeating myself did you guys notice that there's a under the content warnings there's a temporal disorientation content warning <laughs> it's like i mean the rest i get it body horror i hate body horror i get it especially the foreign objects breaking through skin like thank you thank you thank you but temporal disorientation <laughs> that's new to me maybe it's a legit thing i just because it's not i mean i guess it could be an experience i think i'm having but like is it or is it just like you know post time travel <laughs> folks I, and i don't mean to de- you know i'm not denigrating it i just have never seen it yeah. before um well like my my wife hates movies that makes her quote feel like she's going crazy. <laughs> so I don't know how you like make a content warning for that. I feel like we're approaching that with, with something like that. Um, Chris, let me ask you another thing. One, one area that I really liked, but I also really wished it had uh, written a, a little different was the basement um, because there's no map. And I really, you know, it says like, it's impossible to map the mines. I'm like, well, what if you just mapped it? Though? <laughs> like, it's really hard for me to imagine running this without a map. Um, so I wanted to ask you, did your characters, did your players get to the basement and how did that go with running that? They did. And so, like I said, I crunched this down into a three hour one shot. I told everyone at the beginning, I said, at the end of three hours, this game's going to be over one way or another. So they they had (laughs) that ticking clock. I was handing out stress like candy also. And like from the very beginning, when like it burst out of his chest, it was at 11. There wasn't any time that I allowed for falling action, which which was a real shame because I think this module would really shine with that faction play in between sessions, them going to places, negotiating for th- things. But 
uh, as a one shot that really wasn't a reason for them to do anything other than try and get the heck out of there. Uh, and sure. I think if it's not done right, like that's really the PC's only motivation. Um, I, I thought about this. I, I know you asked me about the basement. Let me, uh, <laughs> answer your question. <laughs> they, they ran to the basement and I, I basically, uh-huh. uh, as soon as they got to the basement, I said, okay, you see the door to the mines, you get through to the mines. Now sure. you see the portal. Because there was 15 minutes left. Yeah, so you didn't. Here's the finale. You didn't stretch it out into like the labyrinth or whatever. That's kind of yeah. play. I thought it was really cool also that they, everything is indexed. So like, for example, in the basement, it says the keys are found on Mr. Neal's body. And you can click on Mr. Neal's body or hover over <clears throat> it and the PDF oh, yeah. takes you there. Like it's, The links were extremely helpful to click around the, the module and the PDF version. Yeah, I think that's so important for people who are running something like this online. And they also made the... They made the whisper cards like they had made actual cards you can upload into some kind of card VTT, you know. So um, I, I really love the effort here. One other thing I wanted to mention before I forgot, <laughs> there's Emmy's store. There's like a store, the woman who's like Emmy's swords and stuff, because, you know, that's a store that exists. Has Oh, Lloyd uh, Center definitely had a mall like a sword with store. swords oh yeah. it had a sword like I real feel like swords? i've wow. been to many malls that wow. have like the sword wow. store in it for wow. sure it's sword on my face but there's a weapon section that's like a d10 and i don't know what any of these weapons are yeah am i supposed to i, I just genuine genuine question they're all pretty uh exotic i didn't really know a lot of these either oh let me read you there's the um what m- uh makahuatl maybe it's a noaddle term possibly um, a cut cutter, uh, swa, shwa, maybe a Chinese, like, um, at Ladle Urumi. I think it's cool. Like as written, Emmy's store is like immaculate real world weapons. But like personally, I would absolutely replace this with like fake swords, dumb anime swords. Yeah. You know, like yes. <laughs> like the actual Agreed. kind of sword garbage that I used that right. I'm used to seeing at the no moment. no or or better uh-huh. yet better yet like here's some fake ass ninja swords but if you get in there and get in the back it's like whoa she has a you know an ak-47 or something no i want i want my players running around with like kingdom hearts key blades and having them break after two hits and stuff like that i want the mall ninja experience it's interesting that you say that too because i have a inspiration note here as well so the things on there but dead rising oh yeah sure an inspiration I think, uh, yeah, a video game where you're trapped in the mall and there's zombies all over the place. You can use anything as a weapon. Very unconventional weaponry there. Well, all right. It sounds like you guys liked it a lot. I respect it a lot. I would not. I I might run this with Dread and make a a playset for it. That would be kind of cool. I think you could just have the exact same experience without the Whisper cards using Dread. Um, you know, and some other kind of stress, like, oh, you know, you have to pull two when you're stressed uh-huh. out or something. You know, I feel like you could totally do that. And and I'm sure Goblin Archives would be all for that. Um, so, yeah, I, overall, I think it's a definitely a worthwhile product to check out. And do you guys have any other thoughts or are we, are we I, done here? I agree with you. I think that um, there's a lot of evocative, useful tools in here. Uh, and I think you can definitely make it your own. Yeah. I think there's, there's some work for the referee to do, to put into it, to make it their own. And if you do that, I think you'd have a good time. I also think, um, 
about the whisper cards, what would really help me is yes, they had example triggers, but they were kind of all over the place. I, I I feel like a whole separate book of like just all in one whisper cards, like nicely made out and with examples would have helped some dumb person like me, which is exactly what a story game would have, by the way. They'd have like a, a nice little like if there was a second edition of this, I would love to see us like a little booklet of whisper cards with examples and a lot more information and maybe more procedures, um, especially when they get given out. Yeah, I don't know. I think this is cool. I think I'm I want to I, I have a, a group in mind that I want to run this with. And I don't know. I just want to like stretch it out. Let it let let it breathe. Let the players drive the action. And I don't know, you know, liminal horror. It's the maw. Let them hang out in these liminal spaces and see the weird dread that emerges from it. I think that's the sweet spot here. I got a suggestion uh, for you, Brad. Hit me. Don't don't do the chest bursting in the beginning. <laughs> really? Sl- slow it out. Space that out. Don't kick it up wow. to 11 at the beginning. Have uh-huh. them hang out in the yes. mall, do their stuff, get involved. And then there's whispers yeah. that they can't leave the mall. There's this orange goop coming up over the thing. Factions emerge. The manager comes out. He says, hey, everyone, I've got this under control. Factions start doing stuff. They start challenging the managers. But then maybe they think he's got the right idea. Maybe they're changing their team. Oh, I really like that. That's pretty cool. I have a question about that, though. What are the characters doing before? They're hanging at the mall. Shopping at the mall or their employees. So I think that would totally work if you had a table of random goals <laughs> i feel like that'd be easy i'd be like what are you guys doing yeah. at the mall you work here okay cool <laughs> like a pickpocket stole your lunch or like yeah. some kid has challenged you to right. you know king of fighters and you got to go compete at the arcade but i don't know you lost your quarters and now you have to make change i don't know i can come up with some really oh. dumb plots no yeah, problem yeah you really know this i mean once once the players realize that they're trapped inside the mall and they don't yeah. immediately know that they're in danger they're going to start siding with people. They're going to start actually yeah. looking for supplies. They're going to start the, making contacts. The only problem with that is that the event wouldn't necessarily happen the same way if people were freaking out about not being able to leave, like the podium thing that happens. What? That, right. And like I, I that, think well, that wouldn't still happen, would it? I, I don't yeah. know if I would have done the whole chestburster thing. I think. I see. I think maybe I'd give like a chance for them to like walk in on something happening. Um, but. I wouldn't kick it up mm, to 11 right yes, away. Yes. As they're yeah. trying to figure out how to get out or something. Because, you know, if the main goal is get out, like that never really came off my players' heads. And yeah. I think it's, you know, again, because it's a one shot, but you want to give them the, sure. those other goals, room to breathe, play around with the factions. It's good stuff. Like, so doubt. Well, no, but that, okay, so then I would, I, this is, again, another reason why as a story game, this would make more sense is you could have more interconnections. Like you could have bonds. Um, I don't remember what they call it in Monster Hearts, but relationships between characters, like uh, history, like that stuff. I, I really do think it works better uh, as that. But all right. Thank you both. Uh, thank you, Chris, for both running this and giving us your perspective and thanks to dlb for editing the podcast and bobby McKelva for the music and thanks uh, to our listeners yeah you can email us at between two karens at gmail.com if you have any thank you for being you you hi and thank you, you if you have any questions well, <laughs> and that's a part of our what does world. that mean that doesn't make any sense 
Dan Rather. It, we've got the power of history on our side here. Dan Rather said it in oh, 1986 oh. when he sign off. Good night, my sweet princes of, of New England. Good night, my gentlemen. Nope, nope. What does that call the guys say? Forever mispronouncing words. <laughs> it's Yo Chai Gal, yeah. <laughs> Red Keir, Derek Soon, on. Between two oh my cards. god, it's getting better and better. Yeah, you did you did pronounce Karen in a weird way, but I can't tell if that's the wrong way or the right way because I am bad at Wow, thanks. Right. Okay. No one knows. It's it's Wyvern Wyvern. Ah, <laughs> oh, deep, deep cut there. That's the end of the show now. Goodbye. Turn it off. Yeah, okay. Bye. <laughs>